Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, SSNC Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, or best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, I'm Zena Seaton, Vice President of Customer Experience with SSNC Blue Prism and a co-founder of Women in RPA. I'm pleased to have with me today Ali from Zurich and Abi from Westpac. Hi, Ali. How about you introduce yourself? Thanks, Zena. So as you say, I'm Head of UK Continuous Improvement Automation and Predictive Analytics for Zurich Insurance. I've worked with us for 15 years and I'm based in the south coast of England and I'm really glad to be joined by yourself and Abby today and looking forward to a great session. Great. And Abby, over to you. Yeah, hi. I'm Abby Caddian, Head of Robotics and Intelligent Automation Services at uh, Westpac. Westpac is one of Australia's leading banks and very happy to be here. Really excited to get into the discussion. Great. Well, I am as well. So let's jump right in. We talk about this word transform. It's a verb, not a noun, right? So what does transformation mean for you at your business? Let's start with Ali. Yes, you know, so transformation for us is, is a continued involvement of improving what we do for our customers. And having been involved in change for about the last 10 years or so, we, we've seen lots of different iterations uh, of that. And we've got to start somewhere with transformation, right? I've seen our team grow uh, three, four times over the last four or five years. I've seen us, us scale above our expectations, but that's a journey, right? And, and it takes a lot of time. So transformation is, you know, a start of something and a continuum that, that, that doesn't stop. And ultimately we're here to make our services for our customers better and better every day. And, and that goes on and on. So yeah, transformation is, is important to us, but it's not an end to something. It's, it's just the beginning. Very interesting. I uh, like that and appreciate that answer. How about Abi? What does transformation mean at Westpac? I think it's a acknowledgement that there's one, if there's one thing you can always bank on in an organization and in terms of customer needs, it's change. So therefore change or transformation is critical, whether that be technology change, customer needs change, regulatory change, business change. And, you know, to really handle that change, you need to transform your processes, your systems, ways of working. I fully agree with Ali. I think it's, it's just, a, it's actually a constant transformation is a constant. Yes, it's a constant that goes along with change. So we saw in our opening video, you guys are really doing some fantastic things. Is your business done transforming or are you somewhere in the process of transformation? If you talk to me three and a half years ago, uh, when I first started at Westpac, I'd say, you know, we're well and truly into it, but you, you kind of realize as you deliver a lot of impact, positive impact and a lot of change and transformation, you realize you're actually just scratching the surface. And I think part of that is really around the maturity through which we think about and apply automation. I think organizations, when they first start thinking about automation, are really focus on capacity and, and creating the capacity from the human workforce. Whereas after a bit of maturity and, and experience on the tools, you realize, hey, we can actually use this sort of stuff to help complement our human workforce, especially when you've got surges in volumes, whether that be in insurance, 
or COVID or hardships where which humans possibly can't scale up in seconds to meet this demand and a virtual workforce can really help. Another example that could also be around uh, risk. How do we apply automation to actually reduce the risk environment? Not only automate controls, automate control testing. And we're starting to see a lot of interest in demand and interest in demand come through in that space. And then of course, customer experience. How can we deliver automation to produce a better customer experience, especially whilst we are yeah, in parallel building our digital assets? Yeah, Ali, how about you guys at Zurich? I think the, the fundamental starting point for us, you know, was a culture change. Insurance in the UK certainly can sometimes get a bit of a bad rep in terms of being old school and old fashioned. And many years ago, we set out embarking on a, a plan to start seeing change and problems as opportunities. And automation will continue to evolve for, for many years, right? There'll be lots of more tools and assets in five, 10 years that we currently don't know about. But the first thing is when we're seeing problems or opportunities, you know, turning them into something positive and through that cultural change of problems aren't a bad thing, you can then start what sort of assets can we pull on to solve them for our customers. So the cultural change, first of all, was very important for us. And then we started to add some of the digital capabilities that we're obviously going to be sharing today around Blue Prism and the likes and starting to tap into them. But first of all, you need the business problems, the customer problems to solve. We, we, we try and not fall into the trap of throwing tools around, trying to look for something to fix. You've got to start with, what does the customer need? What is the problem that you're trying to fix? And then consider what um, technology you want to pull on. So culture, really important for us first. I think the second phase is also then about getting some sort of momentum. So starting somewhere, automation, intelligent automation can be a scary topic to some, they may fear it. They, they may think that their, the roles around them are changing and it's trying to dispel some of those myths and break down some of those fears to see it again as a positive and that change is a good thing rather than something to be scared about. So I think cultural first, then getting some momentum, belief and buy-in and then just continuing to scale. Uh, and again, a hot topic for us in the UK just now, we talk a lot about the future of work. We talk about the skills gap that may be starting to appear. Well, we can start to create new career paths for people in this sort of technology by opening them up to sort of a different way of working. So yeah, I think that would be our evolution culture, momentum, and then starting to create um, careers for the future, sort of been our chain of events so far. I've certainly seen exactly some of the things, Ali, you've been talking about at Westpac and no doubt you have as well. Our lovely business teams uh, who we support with automation, of course, start to name their bots and we've got naming competitions and they have performance reviews with their robots to see who's performing and, and you know, uh, getting the, the greatest throughput. And so it just becomes like an extension of the team and it really just talks to the embracing nature of where, where this kind of whole, as you say, future of work is going, right? It's not a human workforce. It's not a digital workforce, it's a hybrid workforce. It's, it's together and together we can get some really amazing uh, outcomes for customers. And Abby, tell us one of your favorite names then of one of the bots. Let's hear one. We, we actually just had a, at an ending competition and we had something like 200 submissions and Turing, we chose Turing, Alan, named after Alan Turing. Uh, we obviously invented the algorithms uh, and everything that comes under, under big, being a, under a computer, of course. And yeah, that amongst a whole host of, of things that came through. 
So it, it definitely sounds like you guys have been on a journey for a while now and you have to start somewhere, usually around modernizing some automations and you move into optimization, as you mentioned. And then when you really start to impact the customer and the customer's experience, you've gone beyond where you could have gone without having automation in play. So tell me ab about the beginning of your journey. Where did you start and how did you make that impact so that you were able to start to get that cultural shift and buy-in for the digital workforce? And Ali, let's start with you. Yes, yeah, you I think it's really important to identify areas where you feel you can get quick wins. Uh, for us in our business, that was in the claims function. Uh, why? What's well, highly transactional? It's highly customer focused. There's a lot of repetitive tasks. So in the beginning of our journey, we focused quite a lot on claims because we felt that some non-value add and some administrative tasks that we could go after. So yes, of course, you start with giving back some time to the claims handlers. Once we had sort of built a sort of maturity into that, you then, as you say, start to think about how can we actually embed automation into building new propositions or building new processes for our customers. So rather than just simplifying what we have, doing a little bit more blue sky thinking and building things from the ground up. So we started in claims and then we branched out into our underwriting department and our finance department. And as we've done that, it's just about taking people on the journey with you. That is executive leadership at the top that will back you. Uh, it's your comms team who will help you with good news stories. It's your staff on the front line that will generate ideas. And then, of course, if you're creating career paths as you're going through that scale, that's obviously very beneficial. So the customer is winning and also internal, we're, internally we're building you know, new roles for people as well. So claims was our starting point. Start small, find some well, wins, slowly build up that momentum to then really end up encouraging the other areas to get involved. They hear what's happening, they see the good news stories, they see the names of the bots, they see the impact, and they want some of that. So I think every business will be different about where they start, but ultimately it's start somewhere, start small, build momentum, and use the success of what you're delivering to influence positively the other areas. So that's been a bit of our change journey in terms of where we started. I think that the fact that you started in claims is actually a little unique. We see a lot of companies starting in the finance area Abby, where did you guys begin your journey? We actually started more in the traditional back office functions or support function areas like HR, finance and the like. Uh, so exactly, uh, exactly to your point there, Zena. And it was seen as, okay, we're going to help remove some of the manual tasks more from the back office part of the organization uh, and free those people up so they can focus on supporting more complex, complex work and things that are more akin to being a, a human and using your human uh, decision making. That's where we started, but where we ended up is starting to work on core operations. So we've gone from non-core to core. And I think what's led us to that journey uh, and, and is, is exactly everything that Ali's mentioned, pretty much very similar around the top down, around having strong business partnership at the start. You need to get those embers flowing and get people excited. Now you can have a great Formula One car, but you need a good Formula One driver. So that's where the partnership comes in. Uh, to win the race and, and get the outcome. But I also think there are certain things about the model we've produced at Westpac that has really put us in good stead. Firstly, we've got a really strong foundation and partnership with architecture. You know, the automation team is not the team that actually makes the decision on whether we do automation or not. 
it sits with the architect presiding over that domain. It's really important to remove that whole hammer and nail type of thinking around this. And, and that really helps with that because they're obviously best place to see, do we have a digital asset we could use? If not, we could use automation. I think it's really important. Yeah, Westpac could be very clear. This is not the end game. This is a stepping stone to the end game. And we realize the more and more a critical one, hence we're in the, in the core operation side of the business. But I also think uh, having the right skills and talent, I think if I look back to when we first started, some of the first people I hired into the team were, have been doing automation for five, six years, have seen the battle scars, have been through the failures at a technical level, able to sniff something that doesn't smell right and something is going to be bad in production. There's no faster way to, to close down an automation program than material issues in product. So I think having that foundation of you know, really strong technical talent in there also has put us in great stead. And then finally, I think if I look back, I'd say having a, like a catapult type event that kind of just helps you break through across the organization is really important. And for us, it was COVID. In COVID, we were able to automate, we were able to deliver 400,000 transactions, customer relief in 2020, which are all around pausing payments, deferring payments, issuing debit cards, processing refunds, restructuring loans. Uh, we were able to do a lot of this stuff in just a few months. And as a result, it was, it was you know, that all that kind of delivery, that execution, that quality, that impact cut through across the organization. Many senior people across the organization become aware. Uh, and then all of a sudden we've never had to, you know, go searching for work. Everything just organically comes through to our team since then. So I'd say in addition to what Ali said, I'd say some real focus around the model especially around architecture, really strong, skilled individuals technically. And you need that kind of one breakthrough or breakout type event that kind of builds that awareness. So it sounds like COVID was your breakout event. Ali, earlier you mentioned one of the key components was comms and having people to tell your story. How did that play into your progression and what was your breakout moment? I definitely uh, was listening to some similarities with Abby there. I was almost coming in, you know, on COVID, the COVID catapult, I like that. I'll give, you know, I'll give you an example. Our CEO told us at the time, you know, Ali, we need to stop manual checks, stop them tomorrow. No one can go to banks. No one can leave the home. Everyone's in lockdown. And just so that push from the top around thinking about payments definitely really helped. So we certainly seen a, a boost forward, Zena, through COVID as well. I think on comms though, particularly, something that's been strong for us. And it's back to that right skills that Abby mentioned earlier. As we launched just before the pandemic, our internal automation academies, which was really a opportunity for staff who were maybe sitting outside the normal areas that would get involved and giving them an opportunity to learn more. We would take them into our center of excellence. We would train them over a six to 12 month period. And following that, we would have a signpost to say, did they fancy this as a new career? Is it something that they wanted to do a little bit more permanently? And we've since, since we started just before the pandemic, we've seen four full-time new academy pods or hubs be created in the business functions, which no one forced us to do. No one told us that we had to do it. It just felt like the right idea. Now, back to your question around comms, how does that help? Well, now we have evangelists, we have advocates. It's not just my team sharing and speaking about the benefits of automation. We now have young, hungry people who have really taken a leap of faith and changed their career. And because they had that opportunity, 
And just yesterday, I was listening to, to Ivy, one of the first cohorts who said, 12 months ago, I was a property claims handler, and now I'm an automation developer. That is the best comms that we can have for the success and the buy-in of automation, Zena. So I also think getting real life stories like that of people that's changed their career trajectory throughout uh, the last couple of years is, is really strong. And that's worked pretty for us. Very similar to what you're saying, uh, just to add on, Ali, one of the things we've been really successful with us is getting tech graduates and, you know, the, as obviously graduates do, they come in, they've got a rotation, they end up staying. <laughs> so, you know, within a six month rotation, they become trained in Blue Prism and the other automation tool, they then become certified. And they've had, you know, a few projects experience, then we end up hiring them. So it just become this really nice hunting ground, if you will, of really hungry talent who want to, who I was an ex-grad, when you come in, you don't want to work on a project that's going to take two years. You want to deliver some impact. It's just the nature of being a, a hungry grad these days. It's been so successful that we've now got our own specialist grad program for automation, which is really amazing, especially considering we just only started you know, a few years ago. That's great. That's great. D definitely one of the things that I've picked up on as you've been talking is that different parts of your business are in different stages of transformation. How is that going when you have some businesses still in an early phase and others who are closer to being transformed if there's an end state, which I think both of you agree there isn't? How do you see that uh, playing out in your work? In the early days, it was more of a, a choice. So Abby described around the push versus pull. It would be who comes chapping on the door would, would get in first. And we had a couple of years of that. How the dynamic changed for us on that was we put it firmly in our strategy from group all the way down to the countries. Automation was in there. Digitization was in there. And then it was less of a choice and more of a, when are you coming on board? So yeah, having it firmly in your strategy and supported by your executive team is very important. It then doesn't become just something that you do on the side. And then like I mentioned earlier, just about, first of all, acknowledging that the different functions are at different maturity levels, and that's okay. For example, where I'll, if I look at where we haven't built our academies or our, or, or our pods that I explained earlier, it's in the areas that you would probably guess were slightly less mature in terms of change or in terms of simplification, or they haven't grabbed some of the low hanging fruit that some of the other areas have. And that's okay as long as where they all are in that journey and you're making incremental steps forward. So firmly in the strategy, acknowledging that the areas are at different paces and that we're trying to move them forward and then just constantly about evaluating and understanding where's next. We're at a stage now where there's not many areas of the business where something hasn't happened and, and that's good for us because uh, now we can take the maturity of automation to the next level. I also have a team of data scientists in, in my team now as well and the power of data science and analytics coupled with intelligent automation is extremely strong. So even when you're at a mature state of robotics, for example, you can then think about what's next. So that's been our approach over the last couple of years. And Ali, um, Abi, a little different question for you. Earlier, you mentioned customer experience, which is near and dear to my heart. And I, I think that transformation is when you stop thinking about returning hours to the business and driving efficiency, and you start thinking about how you bring on digital workers 
in that hybrid work model to actually impact customers and customer experience. Can you share a story with us of how you've been able to use that hybrid workforce to impact the customer experience where you might not have actually been able to deliver that without that digital worker? Yeah, we've got a, a really strong one that's been widely celebrated across the organization and it's in the insurance uh, part of our business as well, actually. So we had automated the claims processing of insurance claim once a customer had lodged that uh, online or over the phone. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, we had some major floods in many East Coast cities in Australia. And what usually happens in that scenario, and Ali, you would know this, uh, back to front, you've, it's kind of chaos and it's a crisis scenario. The operations teams are calling their adjacent teams to help. Everyone's on the phone, long wait times, ultimately a bad customer experience in a critical moment because they're calling because they need help. Uh, and so for us, with the fact that we had automated that process and we had digital workers ready to go on the bench, because when we automate something, it's with a view of what could the maximum possible volume be out of this. And we make sure we've got those robots ready to go for that when that does occur. So the volumes, you know, went up fivefold and we went from two or three digital workers up to 10. They worked, you know, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. We're able to process the claims as they came in, you know, close every day in a break-even scenario. And what that ultimately meant, and we got some great feedback from customers and our head of insurance, which was that customers who were, who were customers of ours, they ended up having tradespeople in their homes sooner than their neighbors did with other providers, just because we were able to meet the demand better. And I think that something like that is not, would not have been possible without a digital workforce and without that collaboration with the business and going, this is a real asset that we can use to help, help us manage scale. And I'd say since then, we're seeing a lot more with COVID as well, a lot more use cases that come through that are really designed around how do we set this process up such that if the volumes tripled we can still manage that well for a strong customer experience, especially in a time that matters, such as claims processing or other types of emergency packages or even hardships or other types of things. So seeing a lot of interest and demand around those areas from the bank now, which I think is a really good and positive thing. It really, you know, and I think that's the sweet spot for automation. It's that it complements the human workforce and together you achieve a better customer outcome. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't be a more powerful uh, thing than to get your customers reduce their time to value and get their homes back in, you know, working order more quickly than your competitors. That competitive differentiator is very important in the business world as well. Uh, before we, we close our panel here today, let me get some closing thoughts, some, some inspiration forward looking uh, for our listeners today. And Abby, let's start with you. I'd say the future is all about, it's about intelligent automation. It's not just about using air robotics. It's about the combination of robotics and other like technologies to so get automate more of a process and deliver better business and customer outcomes. But I'd also then say the way, the path to get there is through something called process mining. I think that's going to be pretty big in the future. All right. We'll get into that next time we, we talk <laughs> and Ali, how about you? Yeah, I think start somewhere. You don't need a huge transformational budget to start to transform your business. 
often it's just about getting the right people working on things. Sina and some of the, this technology that we're talking about today can be trained and passed on to others within days, okay? And they can start working on real business problems. So start somewhere, you don't need a big budget, build up the momentum and the scale will come. Believe me, I've seen it firsthand. And yeah, don't be put off by some massive business plan or even business case, just start doing something and the customers will quite quickly notice the difference. That would be my advice. Great, great. Yes, I love that it's a continuous process. It's a it's an evolution and just start somewhere that gets us going. But I really also appreciate that you guys have moved well beyond that beginning phase and are delivering truly customer differentiations in the market. So congratulations to you and your companies and thank you everyone for joining us today. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how SSNC Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.